This is Power for Living, the Bible teaching ministry of Christ the King Church in Wakefield, Massachusetts. I'm your host, Feliciano Segundo, and our teacher is Father Michael Carl. So get all your Bibles and let's get started. For our teaching time today, we're going to go back over the Colossians passage. Paul was writing this letter to the Colossians, and somewhere in the letter he says he wants them to share this with the people in Laodicea also. Everybody remembers the church in Laodicea, right? That's the one at the end of, I think it's Revelation chapter 3, where the Lord says, Because you are neither warm nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Well, Paul wanted this letter to be shared with those people too. Now, the reason was there was a prevailing heresy working its way through Asia Minor, and the Colossian people, some of them had taken that heresy to heart. And it's the heresy called Gnosticism. Has everyone heard of Gnosticism? That word comes from the Greek word gnosis, which means knowledge. And the Gnostics believed that matter is evil. That means all of the created order and all of the physical things you can touch, they believed that was evil. But the spirit was good. And as such, they argued that God would never have come to earth as a human being in bodily form because spirit is good, flesh is bad. They also believed that God couldn't have created this world because this world has sin in it and God doesn't want to be associated with anything sinful. So he couldn't have created the earth and they refused to see Christ as the source of salvation, insisting that people could find God only through special and secret knowledge. And guess what? They believed they were the ones who had it and all of us did not. It's interesting how cults and heresies always turn out to be somewhat similar. We're the in crowd, you're not. And so that was the Gnostic heresy. Now, Paul is writing this letter to refute the heretics because he says in verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. How can anyone ever read this passage and still insist that Christ Jesus is only a man? By what twisting of words of what such language as this be applied to the most eminent prophet or apostle who ever lived? Surely he must be God by whom all things were created. Paul uses a certain level of logic here which says, if you believe what I'm telling you, you cannot believe that Jesus wasn't God in the flesh, and you cannot believe that he did not actually come to the earth and live like a human on the earth. But that's what made Jesus different. Yes, he was God, but he also came and walked among his creatures to be with them, to teach them. Now, he is the image of God, but it says... God's invisible. Remember, Jesus said to Philip, I believe, in John chapter 14, 
Philip, have I been with you so long that you still don't know that if you have seen me, you have seen the Father? You see, God was invisible because he also told Moses, what? No one can look on the face of God and live. It's because that would be too much for us. It's sort of like, you know, after a thunderstorm, you know, some power lines are down. Would you go up and grab one of those power lines that was laying on the ground? No, because what would happen? Well, basically, you'd be deep fried in an instant. That's what would have happened to Moses if he had looked at the face of God, because it would be like that power line. It would be too much for him. It would overload all those circuits and cause him to look like a droid that's had the springs coming out of his ears. Because we couldn't deal with it if we saw God the Father in our current state. That's the reason Jesus had to come, so he can be the very image of God to us. Now, it says he's the firstborn of all creation. That Some people want to say that that means that Jesus was created, that he was born like all of us. But what that means is similar to the Old Testament practice of having the older son inherit most of the estate. It means Jesus was the firstborn because he has priority over everything. Everything has to meet up with Jesus. He has to be preeminent in which he is. Now, Paul also tells us that Jesus created this earth. And that means he created everything visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. All things hold together. It's sort of like, have you ever taken one of those jigsaw puzzles and put it together completely, then put a glass on it, then turned it over and then put some of that puzzle glue on it so it would hold together. That's Jesus. He's the glue that holds this together. If you took that puzzle and you didn't put the glue on it, you picked it up, what would happen? It would crumble and fall apart. So Jesus has to be the one that holds this together. So don't go in your prayer time tonight and say, Lord, I thank you for being the glue. That's just an illustration to give you an idea of the fact that there has to be something holding things together. And in this creation, it happens to be the Lord Jesus. Now, he's the head of the church. You ever heard the phrase running around like a chicken with his head cut off? Well, after you cut off the head of a chicken, what's left is the nerves. And so it nervously just runs around. If Jesus wasn't the head, we would be like that chicken without a head. So Jesus is the head of the church. He's the one who keeps the church going. Remember he said on this rock, Peter's confession, I will build my church and the what? Gates of hell will not prevail against it. It's because Jesus is the head that the church universal is not falling apart because he's the head. Now, all the fullness of God dwells in him. While this verse does not mention God necessarily, let's see, verse 19, for in him, all well, it does in the ESV, but 
Paul says, for in him all the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily, in another translation. And in him you are made complete. That makes it clear that verse, nine, verse 1, 9 should be understood to mean for all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Christ. That means all of God was in Jesus because he was all God and all man. Remember, Jesus has two distinct natures. That doesn't mean there's one half and one half. It means he was all God and all man at the same time, but not man the way we are human like the perfect man, like Adam before the fall. He is that. He's completely God all the time. Now, the Gnostics, again, believe that the spiritual is good and the physical is bad. As a result, Gnostics had a problem with Jesus and the incarnation and the thought of God becoming flesh and dwelling among us. They said that the fullness of God could reach us only through emanations or angels being gradually drained of its power as it approached. Now, they also said that we should worship the angels. I don't think so. We're not supposed to worship anything that, you know, that first commandment, you shall have the Lord your God and him only. Well, that's what God meant when he gave that commandment to Moses, and that's what still applies. Don't worship anything except God. No matter how noble we may think something else may be, it is not worthy of worship. Only God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is worthy of worship. It says that he came to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. He came to reconcile us back to the Father. Because there was enmity between the creatures and the creator. There was this conflict. There was this essentially almost like a feud between humans and God. Has everyone here heard of the famous feud, the Hatfields and McCoys? Well, you see, what happened was there was a land deal and there was a dispute over hogs and 5,000 acres. One of the families lived in West Virginia, the Hatfields, and the McCoys lived in Kentucky. What happened was that they organi started organizing guerrilla bands and raiding and sacking each other's houses and property. And this went on for a long time, from 1872 to 1891. Uh, what's that, 19 years? Finally, in 1976... The two families shook hands, and in 2003, they finally signed a truce between the two families. What does that mean? That means that feud went on for literally 130-something years. That shows you the difference in how a clash between things can be, violent and angry and bitter. That's how humanity was before Jesus came to reconcile us to the Father. He is our peace, Paul tells us in the letter of Ephesians, because our feud was because of the fall that was started in the Garden of Eden. In this case, Jesus didn't come and just to shake hands. He came to be the peace offering. He came to have his hands nailed to a cross. 
to reconcile all things to himself. Now, Paul tells them that they need to continue in the faith. What does that mean? It means to keep going. It means, like Winston Churchill in that three-sentence speech he gave at this college in Missouri, he said, never give up. Never give up. Never give up. What was his message? Never give up. Well, folks, that's the message of the scriptures. Never give up. Remember, Jesus said those who endure to the end will be saved. That means you keep walking with Jesus until the day he calls you home. So you never give up. You never give up and you believe that he will be sufficient to keep you in his hands and to hold all things together in our lives. You see, because he holds all things together, that doesn't just mean the creation and the planets and the solar systems. That means he holds all of our things together too on a very personal level. Let's be encouraged not to fall apart and lose our head because Jesus is the one who's holding us together and he came to reconcile us to the Father. So, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Paul used all these words on purpose to try to deliberately refute and blunt the Gnostic heresy. You know, he uses the word wisdom. Remember, one of their teachings is you've got to have that secret wisdom. Well, he says, Jesus is the wisdom. Believe in him, trust in him, hold on to him, and guess what? Never Never give up. Never give up. Never give up. Because Jesus is holding all things together. And because he's doing that, we have hope that things are going to work out. We just have to what? Never give up and just know that he's in command and in charge and he'll take care of it in his time. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us for this week's edition of Power for Living. If you happen to miss any of our other programs, be sure to go to our podcast page at ChristTheKingNorthShore.Podbean.com. And you can also visit our website at www.ctknorthshore.org. If this program has been a blessing, feel free to let us know. Write us at Power for Living, Care of Christ the King Church, 4 Railroad Avenue, Suite 309 in Wakefield, Massachusetts, 01880. Or you can also send us an email at ChristTheKingNorthShore at gmail.com. You can be a part of this gospel ministry by becoming a patron of Power for Living. You can find out how by clicking the Become a Patron button at the top of our podcast page. That's it for this week, and until next time, remember that Jesus is your Power for Living.